Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. So my brother and I recorded about a two-hour podcast uh, the other day, and unfortunately the file became corrupted. So I'm going to just take the best of uh, fill in the gaps for you in my first ever solo broadcast here. So a couple quick plugs. My brother and I were just on Sam Tripoli's podcast called The Tinfoil Hat. So check that out. Uh, It was the first time that my brother and I had ever been on someone else's podcast together. So you can see that actually on our SoundCloud timeline. So Project Censored's book just launched. I wrote the foreword for it. Uh, Noam Chomsky has a quote on the cover. It's just a really great book. I'm going to get into that in a future episode. I can go through the top censored stories featured in there. But the cover is epic. It's just like the most amazing kind of comic art looking war of the worlds of these dudes fighting the fake news invasion. (laughs) It's great. So check it out. I'm also coming up to the Bay Area in a week or two to speak at the College of Marin for the Media Freedom Summit for Project Censored, October 26th. I'll be doing a panel and the keynote speech there. So it's also just open to the public, I think, for a $10 donation. And that's Friday at 6 p.m., October 26th. The day before that, I'm going to be speaking at Diablo Valley College. A little bit of an odd time, 9.30 in the morning. So I definitely don't expect you to come out for that. But if you know anyone who goes to this college, uh, tell them to come out October 25th at 930 in the morning. Um, One other really quick, exciting thing, the election's coming up. I want to really cover that in the next episode that we do. But uh, really quickly, yes, on Prop 10 to try to reinstate rent control in California. Rent costs have become astronomical. Housing has you know, skyrocketed 40% in LA and San Francisco just in the last couple of years. So this is something that we can do to create an affordable housing movement. Um, aside from that, there's the public bank, yes on B. And that's so the funds within Los Angeles can stay within the community instead of going to the clutches of the vampire squids on Wall Street. And I think um, L.A. every year pays like $100 million in fees and interest just to Wall Street. So this would take all of those funds, keep it within a local bank, try to localize the community funds right there. So that's going to be going on. There's a big rally where Eric Andre and me are going to be speaking at um, October 20th. So Really excited to be a part of this movement. And if you're in LA, please come out and support the cause. Before I move on, I wanted to issue an apology to Asia Argento. She's a famous Hollywood actress. Um, Her and Rose McGowan were figureheads of the Me Too movement. She was also dating Anthony Bourdain uh, at the time of his tragic suicide. You know, without getting into how ridiculous the story is, uh, it came out that Asia, you know, had this affair with this this 17-year-old kid. And then it came out that he was sending her dick pics since he was 12. At least that's what we thought, according to what Rain Dove, um, Rose McGowan's um, partner, told the press and the police, for that matter. Um, and I was just fascinated with who this person Rain Dove was. And then I realized that Rain Dove actually read it wrong when Asia sent her the text and that Asia never said that she was getting dick pics from this kid since he was 12. And Rain like apologized to her and was like, yeah, you're right. I misread that. And and Asia was just like, well, are you going to fucking make a statement? Because you basically everyone in the world thinks that this is true. And like how much did that hurt her credibility with the Weinstein stuff and all of this? So I'm really sorry 
that I jumped on that without really researching it as much as I should have uh, and saying that she could have been lying about everything because I don't believe that anymore. And I think Rain Dove and Rose are just nuts. And after Rain Dove went out there and like took this whole story, Guardians written up giant reports about her, like meet the gender capitalist androgynous model who like outed Asia for her sexual impropriety. It's like, what is going on? So I feel like that's all a PR stunt on behalf of them. It really shows you how problematic it is to have figureheads like this leading movements for social change. One other interesting thing that happened was amidst all of this Kavanaugh drama, someone from the New York Times wrote an article about him. So like the right wing and these dishonest actors in the alt-right like to do, they tried to create this hysterical campaign to call attention to the fact that the author was biased and was like a liberal writing about Kavanaugh. So anyway, the New York Times capitulated to the right wing, like all of these liberal institutions do. <laughs> of course, they, they apologized and they were like, we don't, we don't have any problems with any facts in the article, but yeah, we shouldn't have assigned this one reporter because she's not really a news reporter. And it's like, great, pat yourself on the back that Mike Cernovich has somehow gotten you to do this. Like, how is this happening? I love how the New York Times is lauding this notion of objectivity too, because objectivity is just a ridiculous notion when it comes to journalism, especially with these Beltway uh, news agencies like Washington Post or New York Times who proclaim themselves as the arbitrators and purveyors of objectivity. First of all, these publications were responsible for towing the worst war propaganda. They are sheer propaganda organs for empire. Um, but aside from that, having lived in D.C., I can tell you firsthand. I mean, first of all, reporting is all about just access and forging relationships with the politicians that you're supposed to be reporting on, you know, holding power to account. Um, everyone has opinions. No one is a robot. And uh, it's just hilarious. I mean, if you read any of these corporate news publications, you can see that they just couch their own opinions in the opinions of quote unquote experts. Um, and those experts are just, you know, members of different think tanks that if you look at who sits on the board of those think tanks, it's usually corporations, defense contractors, CIA officials. You know, you're couching your opinion in think tanks stacked with basically government officials and citing that as somehow corroborating some sort of expert analysis that you just really believe. And, you know, we don't need to see what the police are saying. Like in the case of Botham Jean, the police changed their story four times and the newspapers just ran with it without citing the fact that she has every reason to lie. And they were just citing it as fact, printing press releases from the police. Government officials will just handpick journalists to be the vessels and the instruments to just plant propaganda, essentially. And then you have Yashar, that Twitter personality who clearly just bought his way into having like some sort of standing and the narrative, because he has like 300,000 followers, he clearly bought them all. He fronts as a progressive, but he's not. He was one of the main people trying to call New York Times to like recant or offer some sort of, uh, you know, a correction at the bottom to say like that this person shouldn't have written the article. And then it came out that he pals around with Cernovich. Someone found all these tweets dating back to like 2014 of this guy just desperately vying for attention from Mike Cernovich. And once again, it shows the total capitulation to the alt-right from these institutions that somehow continue to pander to the alt-right. And these people don't care about anything except winning and taking down the liberal media. You know, the Republicans are winning. They're on a winning streak and it's fun to win. It's fun to be on the winning team. 
And so especially for people like Trump and his supporters who are very trolly and disingenuous actors, then yeah, it's cool because it's the winning side. And so all of a sudden this chauvinism and this arrogance and belligerence is somehow cool. It's hip. It's punk rock, dude. Like I just had some guy telling me yesterday, he's like, fuck homeless people. He's like, if you, he's like, don't talk to me about homeless people until you invite them in your home and are like living with them. It's the proud boy mentality. It's crazy. Remember when the Proud Boys went and interrupted like an indigenous ceremony and they started chanting shit about Christopher Columbus? And that's the mentality that they have. And meanwhile, you have James O'Keefe, another Ben Shapiro style uh, hormonally stunted little boy who claims to have taken down the deep state in his new investigation. But the investigation simply is just talking to extremely low level employees of the government uh, who are just criticizing Trump. So again, really well done. And his supporters are just the most bottom of the barrel dumbasses that they'll actually believe this. To claim that these people are in any way, shape or form the deep state is just insulting to anyone who has uh, half a brain here. So, I mean, this is the same guy who runs Project Veritas, who somehow makes enough money through Project Veritas uh, from right-wing billionaires that they have an office front in DC. And in fact, it came out that Trump had donated to Project Veritas right after he announced his candidacy. So this is just going along with his support for extremely controversial organizations and figureheads to try to gen up that radical base of support. That's why he keeps doing these campaign rallies. Meanwhile, the world and country are falling apart because of our policies, but that doesn't matter. As long as he has a base of screaming MAGA chuds, wearing MAGA hats, uh, that's really all he cares about, which was hilarious to see Kanye West in the White House being able to host this big press conference rambling about complete nonsense, but Trump just let him do it because that's the only celebrity that likes him. And let's move on to the Kavanaugh nomination. Um, there's so many things that happen that are just a complete abomination about Kavanaugh getting nominated. You know, here we have millions who can't afford health care. Many are dying, rationing insulin. Uh, you know, half the country doesn't have more than $1,000 in savings. The earth is facing cataclysmic climate change. We're spending trillions of dollars on death and destruction abroad uh, to sponsor apartheid, genocide, endless war. So <clears throat> what are Democrats running on? And, and what is Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer doing? Well, Nancy Pelosi already said that she has no interest in impeaching Kavanaugh, Right. Um, just like she's burdened with the notion of impeaching Trump. So uh, she said that Trump's tax returns are one of the first things that they do as uh, taking back the House. Incredible, absolutely fucking incredible out of touch elitism here. I remember her back in 2003 saying that impeachment was off the table for George W. Bush after committing several war crimes. So it's just stunning that here we are, and she's saying the same exact thing. Really what this shows us is that the Democratic Party is way more concerned with unity and cooperating with these Trump crazy right-wing extremists than um, appeasing or putting up any sort of fight or semblance of actual resistance to appease uh, the left-wing progressive base that is up in arms about someone like Kavanaugh even being allowed on the Supreme Court. So you see all these calls for civility now. You see just the complete horror 
of elected officials for having constituents actually come up to them and want answers for policies that are, that are going to affect tens of millions of women around the country. Uh, they just want to be shrouded in their elite, isolated circles. Uh, they don't want to be confronted with what democracy really should be. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer actually did it again. In a previous episode, I talked about how Chuck Schumer was leading the charge to greenlight several Trump-picked judges into circuit courts across the country. Now, if you look at the Supreme Court, yeah, it's um, obviously the the ultimate arbitrator of legality, right, uh, across the land. But it really sees very little cases. I mean, the vast majority of cases are taken and decided at these circuit courts. And so Trump has already appointed way more judges than any other president at this point in his administration. And what are the Democrats actually doing as a response? Well, a couple of weeks ago, Chuck Schumer greenlit at least a dozen Trump picks because why? So they can get home to campaign quicker. So they could get home to campaign about being the resistance so then they can get back in their jobs and actually not do a goddamn thing. So guess what, guys? He did it again. He did it again. Uh, While progressives are still fuming, while people are just sobbing outside of the Supreme Court, uh, Chuck Schumer didn't waste any time to greenlight another 15 judges for Trump. So, you know, greenlighting these judges basically just pushes them through. I mean, what Democrats could do is delay them up to 30 hours each to try to make cases. I mean, they could really be performing some sort of civil disobedience here. They don't want to. They would rather open their tent to Republicans, to Trump voters, to anti-choice candidates than eke one inch left. We've seen this time and again. But don't worry, they'll still use the Supreme Court to hold over your head to encourage you to continue to vote for the lesser of two evils, and they'll continue to blame Susan Sarandon, Bernie Sanders, and Ralph Nader for uh, the position that they've put us in by acquiescing to uh, let Republicans roll the fuck over them. So just another step in the GOP coup of our courts. This has just happened so quickly and right under our noses because the Democrats have institutionalized this sort of passivity absolutely incredible. I mean, these people have been groomed by the Federalist Society. They've given us uh, people like Scalia, John Ashcroft. This is an extremist right-wing think tank that grooms these judges to essentially set the country back for decades. And these people are just ushered through with a little public debate or scrutiny from the general population. When you look at the court and you understand the power that the Supreme Court has And you can look back 100 years, you know, it's just amazing that um, here we are 100 years after the New Deal and Bernie Sanders is considered revolutionary. Well, this was a time before unions were just obliterated, before anarchists and socialists were killed, jailed, and it was illegal to actually be a socialist in this country for decades. Um, Back before then, Eugene Debs uh, went to jail for 10 years from a unanimous upheld verdict by the Supreme Court, who he called just a a gaggle of corporate lawyers. I mean, he read a letter that was defying the court and he was sent to jail for anti-war agitation by them, but not much has changed. I mean, if you look at the dynamics of the Supreme Court, yeah, I mean, um, it definitely has reflected ultimately uh, the mood of the masses or, or social progress when it comes to gay marriage and, you know, abortion back in the day, even though that's hanging in the balance now. But in terms of protecting corporations, well, almost every single ruling has been against people and for corporations. 
we should be perfectly honest about what the Supreme Court is and how it exists essentially just to protect the ruling class and their interests. So in that lens, I mean, Brett Kavanaugh is a very fitting pick. I've never seen someone more entitled in my goddamn life. He was just a completely entitled prick that um, bragged constantly about his glory days of doing keg stands and drinking beer with his Yale frat buddies. And then when it came to Blase Ford, I mean, her testimony was a no-brainer, completely heart-wrenching, 150% believable. I believed every word of it. And that's what was so atrocious about also Kavanaugh's reaction when he was like, you know what? I actually have no idea who you even are. You don't even register in my mind. Meanwhile, Blasey Ford was like, this traumatized me so much that I've been in therapy my entire life. And then I even had to make a second exit to my home just in case like there was ever an intruder who tried to rape me again. And he was just like, who are you? I have no idea who you are. (laughs) And it's like, I actually believe him and her, just like uh, Collins. I believe everyone, Um, but I believe him because people like him and like Trump, you know how Trump came out to that rally, mocked Ford in this grotesque way, and then also said, yeah, women pretend like I groped them on a plane when I had a best-selling book out. It's like, you did though. People like you do this so much on a daily basis, and, and Kavanaugh and you have probably attempted to rape or either raped so many women and sexually assaulted so many women, it's just a blip on the radar for you. Um, But women never forget when something like that happens to them. Just like the woman in the plane that Trump groped, I heard her story. I 100% believe her. It's something that happens to women every day. But for Trump, he probably just did it to five women that day. He doesn't remember who these people are. Um, And so Kavanaugh does this with such frequency that, yeah, Ford is no doubt just one of many. The most bizarre thing about this Me Too scandal with Kavanaugh is just how mindlessly partisan and tribalistic uh, Trump supporters are, and Democrats for that matter. I mean, the fact that Democrats refuse to acknowledge that Bill Clinton is a sexual predator. Um, But moreover, it's the Trump supporters who are just relentlessly defending this guy. And I had all these men saying, um, how dare you talk about how Kavanaugh is a sexual predator? Like, I thought you were smarter than that. I mean, can you imagine being so mindlessly partisan that you actually only care about something as severe as sexual assault only when it's the other party doing it? Can you imagine? I mean, I feel like I have the mental capacity to care and be outraged about sexual assault, whether it's Bill Clinton, who I can admit probably is, um, is generously at best a sexual predator, just as I can about Trump and Kavanaugh being sexual predators. Clearly, we're talking about a man, Trump, with 22 allegations against him. So for people to say, um, there's no evidence, actually. Yeah, there is. Uh, 22 different people's testimony of the assault. And then I love how Collins was like, um, I totally believe her. She's like, I just don't believe that Kavanaugh was the one who did it. You're like, really? So you're just gaslighting her, even though she said 100% sure that it was Kavanaugh who tried to choke her and almost killed her? because she was trying to scream. And the only reason she got away is because he was too drunk and like fumbled around. And so she snuck out and locked herself in the bathroom. Yeah, that's something you never forget. Um, But yeah, she's confused. And just like Trump said, he's like, she doesn't even know what house it was, what time. It's like, yeah, none of that shit matters. You know what matters? When someone puts their fucking hand on your mouth and tries to rape you, you never forget that face. 
Just like you never forget when you're sitting next to someone on a plane and they try to put their hand up your skirt. I mean, just his complete entitlement and arrogance of deserving that seat reminded me of Hillary Clinton in a way. Uh, It's your turn, right? It was her turn. And I knew from the second that Ford came out, right after the woman said he exposed his genitals at the party, I was like, okay, that's 100% true. Um, but that's not going to do anything to him. And then when Ford's testimony came out, it was just so egregious. You know, he tried to rape her. He almost killed her with with his just sheer brute force. And I was like, wow, this is so fucked up. But the Republicans don't care. They are the party that embraces sexual assault. There's no pretense whatsoever. Of course, they're going to vote him in. They know that this is like their last chance to get in that second Supreme Court justice. And as we know, there is a coup that had been in place for a long time, ever since um, you know, since Obama was in office to to plan to stack the courts. And that's exactly what they did. They're not going to give that up. And one out of seven district court judges are now appointed by Trump. And now he has a, a fully stacked Supreme Court that is going to be in, you know, lifetime appointments now. And now they're saying, oh, don't worry, we're just going to have Democrats stack the court next. Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, the Democrats are going to um, amend the fucking Supreme Court rules and add a Supreme Court justice. Are you guys out of your goddamn mind? Like, how how do you even think that Democrats would do anything? And how fascinating is this counter narrative that Ford is somehow a deep state CIA shill, yet Kavanaugh himself was a Bush administration official. He was the senior aide for George W. Bush. He w- his wife was Bush's personal secretary. And guess what? He could have extensive roles in the torture program. We already know that he caped for NSA surveillance. Um, He went out of his way to prevent legal recourse for torture victims and other victims of human rights abuses. And we don't actually know the extent of his role in all of these horrible human rights abuses or the Bush torture program because the documents are classified (laughs) because they classified all these documents. But I saw so many people just by default saying Kavanaugh must be good because look what they're doing to him. And it's like, what are you talking about? They just appointed this other asshole that Trump nominated. The only reason they're doing this is because there's a multitude of sexual assault allegations against the guy. You think that they would be doing this if this wasn't happening? Not to mention the fact that George W. Bush himself was working around the clock to get this guy elected. And that's been just down the memory hole. And then you have Michelle Obama coming out and saying, George W. Bush is my goddamn spirit animal. I love him. He's my partner in crime. I mean, it's a big old club and we ain't in it, people. Um, The fact that Michelle Obama could actually be partnering with Bush, yet we're still demonizing Ralph Nader, really tells you a lot about how far we've shifted, right? Um, George W. Bush is embraced. Jill Stein is still a pariah and it's Susan Sarandon's fault that we have Trump. That's great. And, you know, maybe war crimes have united Michelle Obama and George Bush. Maybe uh, they, they sit and talk about the kill list and how well Obama did to carry on Bush's legacy and the whole looking forward, not backward. Well, that's why we have people like Gina Haspel running the CIA. And that's why we have Brett Kavanaugh now sitting in the Supreme Court for the rest of his life. And Democrats are so pathetic that you really have to look at the party as it stands now. Not only are they paid to lose, they're paid and they exist just to protect their own institutions. So as long as they continue to run the Democratic Party, it doesn't matter if they win elections, they're still going to get the perks of being in those positions. Um, and it doesn't matter if they, you know, 
are on the winning side because that's not the intention right now. And my point is that you see Kamala Harris and all of these people challenging Kavanaugh and everything that it boiled down to was, do you support an FBI investigation? Whoa, 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 whoa. why was this like the deal? Why was this what you thought would be a, a winning solution that the FBI would commit an investigation and then somehow find Kavanaugh guilty? Are you out of your mind? Like all of this is rigged. And so of course, once they finally agreed to an FBI investigation, it was just a couple days and they were like, guess what? Found out he was clean. Let's get him in. So what this showed me more than anything is that they're only willing to put up a fight to a certain point. Um, they weren't willing to push farther than the FBI investigation. So this kind of guise of some sort of resistance when, you know, we know what they'll do once Kavanaugh's in. We know what Schumer will do. We know what Pelosi will do and what they will not do, which is actually fight with any sort of semblance of teeth. And for people who think that these tech giants are somehow on the side of the left or progressives, it's just a complete pipe dream. I mean, not only have we completely belabored the point about how these tech giants are curating reality and on behalf of, of corporate America and the empire, that doesn't need to be restated. But what does need to be explained is that Brett Kavanaugh celebrated his confirmation at a party of one of Facebook's top lobbyists, and also that Google itself is one of the Federalist Society's largest donors. But the grift continues because now the trend is to just throw all of your money at people who you consider political victims. And so Brett Kavanaugh has been showered with $500,000 through all of their heap into a massive GoFundMe campaign for Brett Kavanaugh and his family. Uh, well done, guys. This is a rich-ass guy who's the top of these Yale elitists, and you just showered him with half a million dollars. Great job owning the libs. Um, because guess what? He wasn't fired. He was up for a job promotion, and he got it. Last thing I'll say about Kavanaugh is um, just the fact that Colin said, you know, she believes everyone. And she was like, but I, you know, I support Kavanaugh. She's like, because I really think that he's going to bring equality and harmony to this splintered country and to the court. It's like, what are you talking about? He's the absolute worst. It's like, what's so funny is they really could have just plucked someone else from the next list on the Federalist Society, and it probably would have mirrored his exact politics, but they just couldn't help themselves. They had to push this guy through. And now there's going to be just like this crazy, notorious sexual predator on the Supreme Court for decades to come. By far the most pleasurable aspect of the entire Kavanaugh spectacle was seeing the thousands of people come and protest, put their lives on the line, their bodies on the line, their jobs on the line to get arrested and to protest uh, what was going on. And also just to get in the faces of every elected representative because it really put just sheer terror in their hearts. The last thing that they possibly could want is to be confronted with their actual constituents and with the public that are actually going to be affected by these policies. So they like to pretend, just like Ari Fleischer like to pretend, oh, things were so civil in D.C. before Trump. Uh, yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem that people just sat back when Obama was in the office. That's a problem that people weren't confronting you, you fucking monster. You covered for war criminals for years. You should never be able to leave your house, Ari. Uh, so yeah, this whole return to civility notion is a disgrace. 
We need tens of millions of people out in D.C. throwing their bodies on the gears of the machine. Otherwise, business will continue as usual. So spare me the sympathy of Susan Collins uh, being terrified that someone confronted her in an elevator. Ooh, you got in my personal space. I mean, these people are just pathetic. But in the meantime that you have thousands of people rallying against Kavanaugh, you have essentially nobody protesting the endless bipartisan war machine that continues to churn on at the expense of tens of millions of people around the world. I mean, it reminds me of that think tank that was going along. You know, you have think tanks every day just uh, nonchalantly talking about how we need to expand and elevate the U.S. empire and assert U.S. hegemony around the world. And they just go off as planned. I mean, no one really interrupts them, confronts them. It's very rare that you see anyone doing that. So that's why it was so amazing to see one of these guys who looked like he had been 3D printed with dough, just casually talking about escalating sanctions and war with Iran. And Medea Benjamin, of all people, uh, you know, got up there and interrupted him and really just laid it all out. And it made me imagine a world with a million Medea Benjamins going out there every day, shutting it down and not letting these people just casually discuss subjugating humanity and expanding war plans as if it's what they had for lunch. Um, But that's, you know, that really goes to the crux of the problem here. Brett Kavanaugh was not loathed because he was a Bush administration official. He wasn't loathed because of his support for warrantless surveillance or torture um, or his ties with these war criminals in the Bush administration. No. Um, So that is a huge, huge problem going back to this kind of cognitive dissonance and willful blindness from the empire babies of not really connecting the dots here of how these type of systems and institutions perpetuate themselves with our own complicity and passivity and how the Democrats play an instrumental role in doing so. So, you know, they like to say, you know, unless you vote for them, it'll just get worse next time. No, it gets worse every time when they win and when they don't win. It'll just keep getting worse because that's the nature of the system. So another big story that was really unexpected is another member of Trump's cabinet just left, Nikki Haley, one of the worst, most rabid neoconservatives um, that was a champion of regime change and just going all over the world, kind of taking John McCain's place, to be honest, except way more hostile and belligerent. So yeah, people are acting very surprised because it seemed very abrupt that she left So Nikki Haley resigned um, one day, I guess, after an ethics watchdog requested an investigation into her acceptance of free flights on private jets. So people are speculating that it could be some big corruption scandal that she was trying to evade. She could be going off to get a paid position with the Israeli government because this is a woman who defended Israel more than any other like ambassador in the history of the U.S. and Israel on the stage of the U.N., I think 13 separate times. She literally was acting as like a dual national, essentially. She was representing the U.S. and Israel wherever she went. Um, She was a neocon lapdog. She treated the world with utter contempt, along with Trump. They punched down to Muslims, brown people. They punched down to the oppressed and marginalized. And she pushed regime change under the auspices of human rights um, on the ground and betting herself with Venezuelan opposition protesters staging at the border of Venezuela. Uh, and she, you know, gleefully endorsed Israeli massacres, promoted Saudi genocide. So 
her belligerence has made the U.S. far less respected and far more dangerous, frankly, to everyone who's living under the boot of empire because she had the audacity to come out there and be like, you know, I'm leaving. She's like, but one thing that I will say is like the U.S. is so much more respected now and that everything that we've done um, has just made the world really like look up to us. And it's like, what the, seriously? But you know, truth doesn't matter anymore in this post-truth surreal reality that we're living in. So these people can say and do whatever they want and none of it matters. And the truth just does not matter anymore. But Nikki Haley really was the ultimate marionette. She really seemed like a complete vassal, unlike Rex Tillerson or Steve Bannon. So it's hard to imagine that she would have butted heads with Trump and gotten kicked out. So maybe there's some sort of mutually advantageous uh, stepping stone in her career, uh, and we'll see that unfold pretty soon. She exposed the U.S. as this kind of nakedly imperialist hostile power that basically relied on just complete impunity and capitulation from the rest of the world, as you saw repeatedly from her posturing at the UN. She was just like, we're going to like take names. We're writing them down and we don't forgive and we don't forget. Like who's not signing on to this insane resolution that no one voted for in an epic failure at the UN. No one voted for her Absolutely insane resolution trying to blame Hamas for an ongoing massacre of unarmed protesters in Gaza. So that was her most humiliating, embarrassing, pathetic moment um, in her short little stint. So I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what Liz Wall route she'll go. Will she work for NATO or will she work for the Israeli government? So we'll have to wait and see. Or she might get a cushy little uh, neocon think tank job where we'll see her paraded around the corporate media as a expert analyst on foreign affairs. Nikki Haley always looked like she was sucking on a lemon too. She was very angry, tight-lipped. Her mouth was always puckered. Like Sarah Palin was just kind of like, well, boopity-boo. But Nikki Haley looked fucking sadistic. Like it looked like she could have just actually been planted right in the middle of the Bush administration and just fit right in. So a couple more things I wanted to touch on really quickly before wrapping up uh, this solo episode is Trump also just announced that South Korea will not be allowed to lift its own sanctions on North Korea. Um, He said, quote, they will not do anything without our approval. So South Korea is the 10th largest economy in the world. I didn't know that. Um, And, you know, Brian Becker made the point that U.S. politicians arrogantly insist that Koreans are colonial subjects. And indeed they do. The fact that the U.S. is even involved in peace between North and South Korea. I mean, if they want to lift the sanctions, go for it, dude. Uh, The fact is that we want to maintain a huge troop presence in Japan, in South Korea, all along China um, to remain that hostile footing um, and use North Korea as a pretense to do so. Because ultimately we want to go to war with China. I mean, there's so many things that are geared up as kind of grand chessboard plans here. So so yeah, I mean, I don't know what I was expecting in terms of the U.S. to stand up to its side of agreements. We know what happened with the Iran nuclear deal. We know what happens with every international treaty. The U.S. empire is just pretty much immune. It is very disturbing because the U.S. will be a continuous blockade for peace within these regions. And the people are speaking for themselves. And we should listen to those people. Another disturbing trend is the increased crackdown on protests under the Trump administration. Uh, I've told the stories before about how insane the inauguration was and um, how everyone was just penned 
We know the story of the J-20 protesters, um, how they were trying to charge them with countless felonies, conspiracy to riot. They were swept up in the vicinity of protests. I mean, we're talking about journalists included. So that was a really scary moment. Luckily, the courts threw that out. But scary things are happening all across the country. When people are arrested, normal booking websites will either post their mugshot or whatever. Well, now Berkeley police are not just publishing mugshots of people like normal booking websites do. They are posting them on Twitter. And not only that, but doxing these activists, frankly, with their names and faces and essentially celebrating the feedback from alt-right psychopaths and degenerates who hate Antifa and actually want them to die and and fulfill this fantasy that uh, they can go fight these street battles with Antifa super soldiers. So the police were saying that they would only do this with protest-related arrests. I mean, clearly this is just focused on activism to discourage it. They jailed a bunch of people from this one protest with, quote, banned weapons charges who literally just had signs So you see this time and again, too, that people can bring giant flagpoles with American flags on it, and those are fine. So they're always selective about who they target here. Um, And I'm just going to read a quick quote from The Guardian right here about this. It says, Berkeley police published the names and photos of anti-fascist protesters on Twitter and said it was creating a counter-narrative on social media, celebrating its high rate of retweets and engagement, internal records reveal. Um... They would post the name, age, city of residence, charges, and booking photos on Twitter, noting that they would quickly be reprinted across television, online, and print media platforms. Police received more than 8,000 retweets, 11,000 likes, and 1.7 million impressions in one case, the document said. So on top of this, Trump is now attempting to actually charge activists for their own protests. So... You know, anytime that you hold a demonstration, you have to get a permit from the city and the city legally has to authorize these permits for you. They close the streets down for public safety, et cetera. Well, Trump is now saying that you have to absorb these fees, uh, not the city for the police labor and all of that um, to even legally have a protest now. So the only way that you can get a permit now is if you're part of a multi-million dollar organization. So this is going to be clearly used to target ideology. Uh, to target small activist groups who are grassroots funded. Clearly, just blatantly unconstitutional here. So the Partnership for Civil Justice Fund is suing the administration over this. They sue often and they often win. Um, and then just, you know, this just shows you also the preferential treatment of like neo-Nazis who, again, have always been protesting for as long as I can remember So it is just odd that all this attention is given on them now. Yes, Trump has emboldened them, but yes, they have always practiced, quote unquote, free speech and police have always protected them. And cities really spend millions, if not tens of millions of dollars on protecting Nazis to prove that they support free speech. Um, Even if it's just like five Nazis, they'll spend just countless amounts of money to stage these protests safely for them, right? And we know how much they protect them there. Um, So only the right gets the special treatment. And then you have protests being organized for the continuation of the Keystone XL pipelines that are going to cross dozens of Native Americans' lands, rivers. Police are just prepping for full-blown war. They are upping the ante. They're upping the scales from the Standing Rock uh, demonstrations significantly. They have already called the actions terrorism. 
They've called the actors involved in that extremists. And they're going to use these phrases and terminology to justify their brutality. Another disturbing update on the coordinated purge taking place of anti-establishment voices from social media giants. As my brother said, um, in case you've been in a coma under a rock or you've been busy shaming leftists for being concerned about um, the mass removal of people like Alex Jones on the premise that he's dangerous when Fox News is clearly as dangerous, if not more, than people like Alex Jones, um, Media Roots is one step away from being completely purged off Facebook. Not only have the algorithms made it impossible to actually show content to the people who already like your page, but there was just a massive coordinated purge between Facebook and Twitter of, I think, 800 accounts and or pages. Now, this is going well beyond just Russian propaganda and bots, and now just going to American accounts and pages that quote-unquote mimic Russian propaganda. So now it's the whole um, you know, anything that you do that somehow mirrors whatever they they consider and define Russian propaganda is and Russian tactics, then those are now targeted too. So it's taken down websites that used to promote our work, uh, the anti-media um, cop block, who, you know, I've interviewed the guy from cop block on breaking the set. These pages had millions of followers. I mean, that's really significant that they spent years and years. I remember cop block from when I first started to get into activism being present on Facebook. So it just shows you the amount of time invested in building up these sources. I know if my Facebook page got taken down, even though I hate Facebook, I would be devastated. Um, I've used Facebook ever since I got into this work to spread the information. I've spent countless countless hours putting stuff on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. And so we all feel helpless. I feel like there's just this kind of vacuum right now where we don't know where to go because there's no alternative that's as user-friendly as these venues that we have and that we've bought into. You know, Weekly Standard is now somehow fact checker on Facebook. We knew that this is where it was going. But what's stunning about the Facebook purge is that it's not just um, content that they claim are spammy or, uh, you know, generating clickbait or whatever. And plus, if you're going to go that route, then why don't you talk about BuzzFeed or any of these news sites really that are just littered with spam and clickbaity ads. Um, but they've also purged people like Rachel Blevins. Uh, this is a woman who is an RT correspondent who said that her page was removed. It had 70,000 likes. She used it to do nothing but post her own content. So I don't know what is going to happen. I just feel like this is a really, really dark path and there's no turning back here. And it seems like very little people care. And mind you, this is right before the midterm elections. Um, we've now laid down our arms and embraced these tech giants to curate our reality. And so they're now um, handpicking the content that they think that is right and best and whatever best promotes and parrots New York Times or Washington Post, then that's accepted. So it all started with Proper Knot, and Proper Knot was labeling these exact pages as spam, Russian propaganda, etc. Mint Press News is also being targeted on Instagram for posting uh, simply appropriate cartoons, political cartoons, criticizing Israel. So Instagram is next. Facebook is dead. I don't know where Twitter is going to go, but it's just absolutely stunning. And there's no recourse for these pages either. I mean, they were just 
they were just completely purged with no ability to protest their removal. And Trish Roberts even told me a longtime supporter of Media Roots said that her pages, the Naked Empire and Faint Signals from Vega, who are both anti-war, anti-imperialist pages, staunchly, not spam, um, were also unpublished randomly for, I think, two days, and her account was disabled as well. So it seems like this is all just one massive staging ground for the ultimate purge. And um, it really does seem like that's, that's coming soon. We knew this was happening. We've seen it happening for over a year now. Um, It's ramped up. I guess I just didn't know it would happen so quickly once it started. The algorithms changed, and that was the first step. Um, And I thought that was enough for the establishment to change the algorithms to make our stuff not seen. I didn't realize that it would really dovetail into this kind of outright banning and censorship. And um, it kind of makes sense when you see who they're enlisting as the fact checkers who they're enlisting as the real news. It's not going to be as much of a problem for, you know, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, Trump, alt-right trolls on 4chan and Reddit. They have a happy home in those places or Gab or whatever I I hear about that. Even Minds is kind of a little bit more alt-righty for my taste. So I just think that um, people on the left, people who are progressives, people who are anti-imperialists and fighting the empire, I'm really worried about a place for us. And I think it's time to take things really, really grassroots and really underground here like we used to without relying on things like this. It's time to take it back to the streets, back to zines, um, back to podcast platforms and taking the media to the people directly because honestly, that is our only hope at this point. Sorry to end on a depressing note, guys, but I guess that's just the world we live in today. So if you want to uh, laugh your ass off, though, you should listen to Tim Heidecker's Office Hours because, man, I mean, I've been giving podcasts uh, a big chance lately. I've been getting a lot of recommendations and really trying to give some other podcasts a try. And wow, they are fucking bad. Um, Definitely check out Office Hours, though, because Tim Heidegger is so hilarious just naturally that even when it is just mindless banter and sometimes he has Vic Berger on to do sound effects and stuff and it's really fun, but it's just hilarious. So, yeah, definitely check that out if you want to laugh and stop thinking about how uh, terrible everything is. But in the meantime, let me know what you think. Check out our YouTube channel. I've been uploading just solo clips from the podcast if you don't have time. So, yeah, check out YouTube. Subscribe. Subscribe to our SoundCloud, our iTunes, and check us out on many platforms and just help us get the word out, guys. And don't forget to become a monthly patron on Patreon. We now have different rewards for different tiers, including a special gift package from me. So check that out on Media Roots on Patreon. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Talk to you soon.